What's happening? Corey Wong here with the brand new Wong Notes podcast. We have a sick first season. We have current and future legends of the guitar. Some of my heroes. Smash that subscribe button. Hit it, baby. Peace. Jim, thanks for that playing, man. Hey, this is Chris Keys for From Your Guitar. I am in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm joined today by Jim Ward of Sparta at the drive-in sleeper car, and he is joining us from El Paso, Texas. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Real good, man. I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we can together celebrate the new record you guys have out. Yeah, yeah, thanks Thanks for having me, and pumped, pumped it's out. Yeah. In, in, in you know, unusual circumstances that we all find ourselves in, you got creative recently in, in sort of celebrating that with your audience and your fans. You've been engaging with them online, but uh, also you've been, you just, I think last week you performed three concerts, right? I did, yeah, on Friday night, I did, uh, I did three shows to cover sort of the three big time zones, Europe and UK and the Americas, and then uh, Australia, New Zealand, Japan. Sort of try to find the best time we could do it, and it was fun. It was exhausting, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah, and, and for those that didn't tune in, you played all those by yourself, right? It was just you solo? Yeah, I'm the only one here, basically, uh, and, and we can't really... It's, the, the virus is still pretty, pretty wicked down here, so um, I've been staying as much away from people and things as I can. Gotcha. And, well, I mean, at this point, let's just dive right into it. Um, Best part to start would be what's in your hands, the uh, Fender. Uh, yep. I've known yep. you to yep. play Telecasters. I've seen you play SG Specials, but uh, you see here with an offset, so. so. It, yeah, it's a Jazzmaster. Um, so this is what I've been touring with the last couple of years. Uh, just a, a standard Jazzmaster, uh, made in, it's a Mexican Jazzmaster. I'm not, I'm not super picky on gear. I'm not a, a giant gearhead at all. Um, I love these. I have a really great relationship with Fender. Uh, the last five years, um, Jason Klein is my guy, and he's he's been unbelievably supportive and cool. And so, yeah, my my dad always said we were a Fender family, and I tried hard to not be. <laughs> well, you admitted that you're not much of a gearhead, and you know uh, you might not dive into the specs and uh, know the different things that others may. But what does attract you to certain instruments? And what, is it the sound? Is it the feel? Is it the look? What, what does bring you to that? I think the first thing, obviously, is the feel. Uh, if I can't, if it doesn't feel good, it won't stay in my hands for very long. So like if I'm at a shop and I pick up something, I mean, it could be, I play mostly Telecasters. So I've had, I don't know how many Telecasters over the years. But if I pick up a Tele and the neck doesn't feel right, I just set it right back down. Or if it feels, you know, it's almost like, I'm sure with a lot of players, it's it's almost like baseball. It's like picking yeah. up a bat. It's just sort of an instant weight feel. So like if I'm playing a 335 and I pick it up, that's going to be a different weight, but it's like a different thing for me. So I kind of know by guitar when I pick it up. Uh, same with acoustics. If I pick up an acoustic and it just feels weird, uh, it doesn't stay in my hands. Second off would be the sound. 
Um, and then third off would be the look. But I mean, honestly, I probably wouldn't pick it up if I didn't think it looked cool, so. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess probably the first thing is the look. Yeah, for sure. And, and through all your projects over the years, ha has certain guitars found themselves uh, proprietary to that band or sound? Or is it just, hey, I'm liking this Telecaster right now, no matter what band you were in at the time, and that's what you're going with? I think, um, so early on, like, Early at the drive-in, I got uh, a 76 Bronco, uh, which is on, it's on the back of, of Acrobatic Tenement, is the guitar I'm playing. Um, I still own that guitar to this day. And that was like, I, I was working at a guitar shop, uh, sort of for free, like sanding guitars in the back for refins. Um, and I sort of, I, I acquired that one cheaply. Um, and it was like my first real sort of, you know, real Fender. Um, and I guess, well, shortly before that, actually, my, my parents got me in high school. Um, I played this like uh, 60s airliner, right? The one that Sears made. Yep. So I, I played that in my first sort of real band. I had a band called Self in high school that uh, would play to, you know, maybe two or 300 people on different shows and open for sort of national touring acts. Um, and my dad is a guitar player as well. And he came to see me and, and they always said, I mean, we didn't have a ton of money growing up, but they said, you know, sort of, if you prove yourself, we'll help you. Um, and I just kept going and going and going. And my dad went to see me play and I tuned every song because the airliner wouldn't stay in tune. Yeah. And we sort of fall out of tune halfway through the song. And the next day he took me to the shop and they bought me uh, a, my first real guitar, which was a, a Fender Telecaster, um, you know, with a case, brand new smell. And it was like... It was a huge thing for my family. Like I said, they didn't have a ton of money, but my dad saw that I was doing it um, and he wanted to support me the way he could. So so that was my first guitar. And then it kind of just evolved from there. And, and I think I would come and go through guitars. Um, at some point I, I ended up trading that Telecaster for uh, like I think a Mustang at some shop in San Antonio on tour. And, and I've never been I think my, uh, I don't think I got really sentimental till sort of further into at the drive and, and I had a, a, I had a 61 Les Paul Jr. The SG cut. Yeah. And that, that is probably my, you know, at least in that band, that what I, I was known for that guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, it was my favorite guitar in the world. It was my most valued, uh, material possession. I loved that guitar, uh, as much as anything I've ever loved that wasn't alive. Um, <laughs> It, it got stolen and it was a good lesson in in uh my wife said don't don't take it on the road and we had two more shows in sleeper car uh, we had a san antonio and an austin show and that was it for that that campaign um and our trailer got stolen in san antonio the first night and so i lost it and she had told me just take it in the hotel room and i said oh it's such a pain in the ass like, yeah i've been i've been doing this forever don't worry and i lost it so it was a good lesson in in sort of uh uh, letting go of something. But yeah, that would be my favorite guitar. So long-winded answer, but no, there's nothing that really st sticks with me. I sort of start, probably start a tour and just go from there. So just kind of depends. Gotcha. And uh, now this Jazzmaster, have you used that quite a bit on the recording, the new album that you just put out? I would say most of the record was recorded with this Jazzmaster, yeah. So is this, and, and I have a new... Um, what do they call it? It's the, it's the new Telecasters with the sort of divot in the back. 
I think okay. it's a player, maybe. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, a player series, I think they're called. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, those are kind of my two. I mean, that's probably like the technically nicest guitar I own. Um, that Telecaster is ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, it's basically those two. And then uh, Sonic Ranch has a divided by 13 amp. Uh, which I used and, and probably could never afford or would tour with because they're so nice. Um, but that was it. That and my, my pedal board, which I've been using for, you know, pretty much same pedal board my whole career, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, obviously the sentimental and just the value, that, as you said, you spoke about. But what did you enjoy? Because I saw you... Uh, when you did this run of dates in 2012 with an Epiphone SG Pro. And, of course, both those guitars that come out to my mind or the similarities are the P90s. So what do you like yeah. about the P90s and specifically for that type of music that you're playing? So I'm, I'm a very middle-of-the-road guy. Like, I like... I'm a rhythm player, right? Um, I love being in bands where I'm the guitar player, second singer. I love being in bands where I just play guitar I don't I just kind of the P90 to me is is a humble workhorse if that makes sense yeah. like there's nothing fancy about it um, it's got like a pretty middle of the road sound to me there's nothing uh, just it sort of fits what I do really well like it fits kind of just you know it's in the pocket it's not extremely bright it's not extremely gruff it's just kind of it allows it to be versatile I think and that's sort of what I try to do um, as a band member um, is to just be sort of that versatile instrument switch between guitar and keys sing backup when I need to obviously that's different in Sparta because I'm the main uh, singer but it's still what I look for as my role in a band would be uh, um, just sort of versatile stay in the pocket rhythm player and that's what I am and uh, with regards to the acoustic stuff, whether it's performing, I know a sleeper car, you'd bring out the acoustic, and then obviously uh, performing most recently, the Sparta stuff acoustically. I've seen you with a Martin, and I believe like a Sunburst, Tobacco Burst, uh, Gibson. Uh, can you talk to about those guitars? So um, the Martin, are you, the Martin I play, if it's the one that I was playing in New York, um, that wasn't mine. I borrowed it. Okay. That was that. that that's actually Chris Martin's uh, Martin oh. that that he gave to our friend Seth, who I was at his apartment, and I was I flew to New York for that show, um, and I was going to rent a guitar because I didn't want to travel for one show with a guitar, um, and he said, "Oh, just take that one." Chris gave it to me years ago, so so I played I played Chris's, um, and then I have I think what is a maybe the low level Martin or a Martin knockoff that. I used to use at Rosewood Studios here, um, and when that engineer, Mike Major, who, who produced uh, Porcelain, the second Sparta record, and has, has worked with us since I was 17, um, he gave me that guitar when he left. Um, it was kind of just like our little guitar in the studio that you would figure something out and put it in the corner, and, and I tried to buy it forever, um, and he gave me that. And then I have, uh, I usually tour with a, a Fender Paramount. Okay. Um, Mostly because that's something that, I hate to say it, but is replaceable if it got stolen. There's nothing, it's just a stock Paramount. Um, gotcha. And then I have the J45, which I play at home on records, on the podcast, or on the, on the live series or whatever. Um, mostly because it's my, like, probably one of my favorite guitars ever. And I bought it specifically on when we made threes, because I had started introducing sort of more acoustic 
stuff into Sparta. Um, and I wanted that guitar. Do you write a lot with that J45 or is it kind of just whenever and whatever inspiration hits you, whenever inspiration hits you and then whatever you're able to grab or is the, the acoustic more of a writing partner? So for writing, and I've done this since I was a kid, um, I started writing songs when I was probably 14, 13, 14. Um, I, always play, I always play electric unplugged, usually in a corner of a room. Hmm. Um, that's my, I used to do it because I lived with my parents and I would go to the other side of the house and I would write really late at night. I still write really late at night is, is my typical um, writing time. And it's low enough that it, you don't really wake up your, your parents or now my wife or the family. Like I don't wake anybody up when I'm writing. And it, for some reason, I think that is why probably my songs sound the way that they sound or the way that I fret. There's a couple of things I usually write standing up um, because I play standing up. So I usually stand up and write and face a corner because I can hear sort of the, the acoustic part of the strings coming off. Um, and I, I think that I play a lot of big open chords because it's louder yeah. uh, in that situation. I think it's just the way that it's turned out, but it's ended up being, I, I, can't, play, um, I can't play bar chords very well. Just my wrists don't bend enough, I guess. Um, so when I started out, I liked playing at a certain level for the guitar to hang at a certain distance. And at that distance, my hand doesn't make bar chords very well. So if you note, uh, I rarely, rarely use bar chords. And if I do, and you see me live, I usually have to sort of bring the neck up and make a weird face and try really hard <laughs> to get to it. Um, but that's why I play a ton of, of sort of just like the open, that sort of stuff. It's funny how, how each, you know, we, we, this whole show is dependent on gear but how yes. so many different things of just our upbringing, uh, what's available to us, how we learn how to play guitar, you uh, be more comfortable standing up and how your wrist is unable to make certain chords, how that shapes us maybe more as a player than we either want to acknowledge or that you know we let get in the way because of we're chasing gear or sounds. It's funny how that, just, yeah. it's like a whole different thing that we never think of. I could read entire books about why people write or play the way they do like I find it so fascinating especially as a, as a songwriter and um, I think the more I I allow myself to acknowledge that I'm a songwriter which takes a long time if you come from from punk rock right it's yeah. just kind of like one one for all all for one at some point you realize you're kind of the only one writing songs um, the more that I've sort of acknowledged that and and sort of explored it and started talking to other people about it I just find it so interesting and I feel like this, from sort of this point on in my career and my life, I want to write more with other songwriters just because I like, I love learning from them and yeah. seeing how they do it. I find it endlessly interesting that you can play the same three chords and every human will write a different melody to it almost. That's, I find that amazing. Uh, one more question about the creative process before we get back into the gear is, do you find yourself trying to, you know, you know your sweet spot, so in the corner standing up late at night, or do you specifically ever s set out to, like you're alluding to collaborating with more people to maybe open up new doors or new ideas for you, but also saying, hey, I'm gonna sit down in the kitchen at three o'clock in the afternoon and then almost 
not force yourself, but kind of schedule a time? So it doesn't work very well for me um, to schedule the time specifically because I guess maybe at this point I know myself well enough that around sort of like when the sun's out, I just don't feel like writing mm. particularly. Um, I love recording for sure and whatever creative stuff happens during the day is awesome. But for me, sort of the, the deep dive writing comes late at night. And what I've been doing lately, especially with this sort of the pandemic stuff going on is I'll take uh, seven straight days and every night I just go and make something. No matter what it is, uh, it could be a throwaway, it could be a keyboard line, it could be, you know, just humming into my phone. Mm -hmm. But I would just carve out, okay, tonight before I go to sleep, I just want to make something creative or else I'm going to go bonkers because I don't have the leisure of going out and being inspired anymore. Like mm -hmm. I'm not on the road, I'm not hanging out with my friends. It's become very much Groundhog Day yeah. uh, for me. So I think. A little bit of that is happening now where I'm sitting down. But I know some people like, you know, Tom Russell, who told me I, I sit down every day from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. and write for four hours. Um, and I'm like, Jesus, man, that's amazing. You must have so much shit because <laughs> that's unreal. I don't know how you do that, but, you know, everybody is their own thing. So, yeah. Well, getting back to, I guess, the task at hand is uh we'll end with what you're playing now and what people are hearing but let's start uh you mentioned the divided by 13 uh let's say the world was normal in a sense that you could tour what would you be taking on a tour uh, i know that you've been affiliated with orange for a bit but uh what would you be touring with right now so i've had a, a good relationship with orange i've had a good relationship with vox uh and fender as well so i've sort of toured with all three amps and what i keep coming back to is um Depending on the size of the tour, my, my ideal situation is sort of a 212 combo with a 212 extension underneath it mm -hmm. um, on, on both sides of the stage or next to each other. Um, and sometimes I go from like driving one hard um, and driving one soft and then sort of using a, a pedal to switch between them or combine them. Um, but that would be sort of a decision I'd make before rehearsals and then implement in rehearsals and and work on and as again like as you sort of get further along in your career um i tend i've actually gotten more and more simplified so now it's kind of like i just need one one combo like on its road case so that it's at the right height for me um, and then just an overdrive pedal so it sort of depends on the size of the tour again um, also depends if almost always chopper which is my guitar tech is with me so it'll depend somewhat on like what we're traveling on where we're going if there's a lot of fly dates so just stuff like that and sort of what chopper and i will talk about it before the tour and and figure out what makes sense um i mean obviously the orange and the vox come from the british flavor of tubes and circuitry and the fender has its own american appeal what do you like about each one, uh, assuming you know, audience and room size isn't a, a factor? What do you like what each one tonally brings to you? So I've, I've, it's weird, no matter what amp I have, I try and put it into my box. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I don't really, I never use amps, uh, probably what I should be using them for. I always use them as like, okay, that's my amp. This is how I want it to sound. And I must always just find, again, like a P90. I just want it to be warm. Um, I want it to break up a little bit the harder I hit, uh, but I don't, but I also want to know if I back down, it's going to back down. Mm -hmm. 
So the, the, the sort of the dynamics between clean and crunch are really important to me. Um, it's super easy to get the big, the big sound. It's not, it's not hard. I mean, pedal-wise, you just you know, overdrive the shit out of it and it sounds big and full or whatever. So everything I look for is, is that right, right before it breaks up over the edge. So that's where I'm looking to live in that little, uh, right in that spot. A little crevice there. And, yeah. and so what, uh, what we've heard so far and what we'll hear in a little bit is uh, how are you wiring up or what are we hearing amplifier wise or I guess tone wise right now? So all, all I'm doing right now is just using a, an AC30 modeler just because that's, that's probably where I'm more comfortable with. Um, and it's just a clean, you know, it's gonna be out of tune a little bit. It's just some, uh, just modeling it to be sort of that that uh, again like a Vox, not totally breaking up, but sort of finding that if I hit it hard enough, it'll it'll crunch up a little bit. Sort of for the to me, there's like three three levels I'm looking for, mm -hmm. which is um, and you'll hear it like the beginning of of uh, cut your ribbon is kind of that just straight clean, and then when it kicks in, it goes all the way here, and then I usually live somewhere in the middle, sort of that playing hard, but not using the overdrive or using just a touch of overdrive. Gotcha. Well, I mean, at, at this point, Jim, I think it's time to talk about your pedals and what you do have at your feet. Okay, so always, uh, I'm gonna tune while I do this real quick. Absolutely. Always there's the Boss Tuner, which I've been using, I think it's a TU2, maybe, yeah. whatever it is. I have probably, um, you know, 15 somewhere in my house. Like, they just like, I have so many of them, uh, but the one that lives on my pedal board has been here. This current one has definitely been here since 2012. Because okay. um, I just saw the, the marking on it for the, that tour. So that's how I know it was here. Obviously, you're, you're, it's like over the years, your crew marks things different ways and they sort of become uh, locked into your, your memory of that time. So I can see the number on there. Um, and, and always uh, the Dunlap volume pedal, which I use almost like a security blanket. It's hard to not, if I don't have that with me, it's uncomfortable for me to play. So even when I'm playing acoustic, um, I will usually tour with a pedal board for its massive overkill, but I'll have it with me kind of just as my, you know, after 20 years looking down and seeing the same thing, it's hard for me not to. I also tour with the same mic stand I've been touring with for 15 years. Wow. I can't not have it, so it just keeps getting repaired. And I mean, it's, it's like three, three feet away from me right now. And I've been, I toured with that on the porcelain tour, so since 2005, wow. so 15 years. Yeah, same thing. And I've probably had this volume pedal. I keep them until the string breaks. Yeah, the travel. Um, yeah, and then, and then it goes on a shelf. So I have about five on a shelf with the broken string. Because <laughs> I know, right, they, they sell a replacement for it, but it, do you know anyone who's ever replaced a string on a volume pedal? Yeah, no. I don't know anybody. It's not a profitable business venture. <laughs> it's, it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, yeah, so I always just buy a new one. And then, I mean, they're workhorses. This one, again, I've had, I don't know how many years this one's been on here. Do you use uh, it to so, kill your signal or do you use yeah, it as a dynamic? Constantly. Okay. Bo both, both. Okay. But yeah, constantly you'll see, um, and one reason I break a lot of toenails on tour, because there's two things I do when I play. I, I sort of slam my right foot behind me, um, which is just 
my, I don't know why I've always done it. But the other thing is sometimes uh, sort of at a big crescendo or the giant moment when, when you stop everything, I'll slam the volume pedal with my foot. Mm -hmm. and, it, and occasionally, um, yeah, after the show, I'll just be missing pieces of toenails for, oh. but that's always happened. I don't know why I always do that. But, um, but my point is that these things are so tough and they take, they take that. There's such a good way to kill, just kill that signal instantly. Um, but yeah, I also use it full on. Um, and I'll get to that in a second when I get to my delays. But a lot of my sound, uh, especially in Sparta, has been these sort of long, real long delay swells. Yeah. And, and I've used them on uh, soundtracks too. I've done an entire movie with only using swells, which is a, a super fun experiment and what you can get away with uh, as far as delay goes. <laughs> yeah, so, so always uh, out of the tuner, um, I mean out of the pedal, straight to the tuner direct. Um, and then from there, I'll go on a, sometimes I'll run out of the tuner to uh, an acoustic DI. So mm -hmm. that's a way that I would send a separate acoustic signal to front of house. So I'll turn off the I'll turn off the tuner, and that will allow the acoustic signal to get to front of house on a DI. Okay. And then it'll and then you can use the amp for sort of the the affected part of the acoustic. So just sending two two lines to front of house gotcha. um, for that. If I don't have acoustic, then it won't be there. But that would be the only time I would have some a DI on there. I don't run a DI otherwise. Um, and then straight from the volume pedal to an overdrive. And right now I'm using um, these, this boutique company called Big Crunch uh, oh. out of Baltimore. So it's this guy Brooks that I grew up with. He's one of my best friends in the world. We've known each other our whole life. Uh, he plays in a band called War on Women, which is uh, sort of like a feminist, super punk band. Great fucking band. Um, but he also has a guitar repair shop in... Uh, I think it's called Magpie, J. Robbins Studio. So he kind of works there. He's an engineer there sometimes, and he makes uh, amps and pedals. And I, I love this pedal. A, I think he made an amp with, uh, yeah, for the dudes from the sword. He had he had just yeah. one big knob yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's his whole thing. And the same thing with his his uh, his overdrive pedal, which I love, but I always argue with him about the mid range because he loves he makes it for him and. It sounds exactly like he wants it to, and I'm always fighting with him about giving me more uh, mid-range suite. But other than that, I've been using it uh, eight, eight, nine years, something like that. So again, I've had, he's made me probably six or seven of these, and I've sent them to my friends as well. I know Dallas from City and Color played one uh, on a record, because I sent it to him, he used it that day, loved it. I've sent them to uh, a couple other people, but yeah. I like sending these to my friends because I just think they're great, and I get them at cost. So <laughs> it's <laughs> I a buy nice little gift. Then, yeah, I buy them and then send them off to my friends. Um, and then I have from there would go to uh, phase ninety. Can we hear your crunch is, pedal? I'd, I'd love to. Oh hear. yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, ah, jeez, hold on. So we played a we played a rally for. Bernie Sanders in February, and it was like the last time we were all in a room together. All right. Um, and this I, this is the first time I've taken out this guitar since that day. So had new strings and it's all out of tune. Jesus, sorry. I need chopper here. 
This is always, uh, I don't know if you get this a lot, but guys who have had the same sort of crew forever and just become totally stupid on yeah. how, to, how anything works. That means without me ever meeting Chopper that I know that Chopper does his job well. If you're, you oh, know, so, like your, yeah. your level comes down as your knowledge. Yeah, 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 for sure. I remember going to, just like a side story real quick. I was just talking to Matt about this. When, before we made threes, uh, we did like a quick demo session because we were leaving, uh, leaving Geffen, I guess we were on? Leaving Geffen and trying to find a new label because our deal was up. And uh, so we had to just go quickly into Sound Factory, I think, and knock out like five songs. And I couldn't remember what strings went, like because my string box in my tech case has like every single size for just different projects or whatever is going on. Yeah. But without Chopper, I, I couldn't remember what string, <laughs> what gauge I used. And it was like the most embarrassing, I had to call, I think I actually called my, my TM, because he also does guitar stuff too, and was like, I'm super embarrassed, but I, I can't remember my gauges. So can you help me? Because everything is single, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. It's a good way to impress labels when you don't know how to fucking <laughs> string your guitar. So that's a big crunch. It's just a, a big fill it up, like. And what I wanted to do is just dynamically sit above, you know, I mean, I want the drums and bass to be this sort of core. Mm -hmm. And I want obviously to be in the sort of higher frequencies, but I don't want to miss that sort of connection. So I like, it's gotta be like warm and it's gotta be, it's gotta have like a, a ladder. Right, it's got to have a ladder down to the rhythm section, yeah. because that's really where I, I fit. Essentially, I'm just I'm the higher end of the rhythm section, mm -hmm. sonically. Yeah. And I'm not super particular about finding. I mean, I know a lot of players want to find something that you can make sure you can hear every note, and there's sort of. Everything is so dialed in or compressed or I don't, none of that is important to me. Again, I'm just trying to get that big sonic space filled, mm -hmm. right? So. And obviously some good sustain, but nothing too crazy. Um, and that's really just living with everything on 12. Okay. Um, I just wanted to, you know, go from. That big, fill that up sonically. And obviously it would change a little bit with a live amp because it's air, but. Yeah. Do you live uh, on a particular br uh, bridge? Do you typically live on a particular pickup? Oh yeah, always a, always a bridge. Okay. Yeah, I don't even, I mean, honestly, probably half my guitars aren't even wired to the neck because I, I end up hitting the switch when I'm playing and so I'll just tell Chopper just, Straight to the bridge, please. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen... And again, it goes... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, so again, that goes back to, to that 61 SG. It's mm. just, it's, it's one bridge, it's a P90. I mean, this is, you know, these are humbuckers, but I will, I'll find, that's kind of my, my favorite spot. And it's, it's a rhythm, it's a rhythm pickup, you know, for me. Yeah. And I guess maybe not tr traditionally, but... What do you uh, use for strings? You had kind of mentioned it with a nice little sidebar there. What do you use for strings? Yeah, so lifelong purple power slinky guy. Lifelong. <laughs> uh, 
We'll never change. We'll never fucking change. And we've gone through, you know, you get those times in your career where you get a string deal or, you're, you know, somebody convinces you or, you know, your tech wants you to try something different. And yeah. I just, ne- like, it just doesn't matter to me. Purple Power Slinkies, always. It's my shit. One less thing to worry about. Yeah, I mean, and, and why not? I mean, they work and I have a good relationship with them and I'm happy to buy strings at artist price and I don't need to be on anybody's you know, website or anything. Like, I'm good. Yeah. I just, I'm all right. Nope. <laughs> well, all right, before I cut you off, uh, you were kind of going from the distortion into a phase 90, I think? Yeah, and it's, it's actually, I, I rarely use it, um, but it's kind of like the one effect that, that really works well with a rhythm player. Um, it's because it, it just takes the whole, you know, and it's really just... So um, on the, the second Sparta record, Porcelain, Breaking the Broken was uh, like one of the singles and it's kind of the only song I really use it on, but. So I think for me, it's having an effect that works on chords and strumming is, is effective for what I do. What do you That's why I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of bells and whistles because most of the time I'm just trying to to do my job as a as a rhythm player. What about uh, on the last song that you had already brought up, Chris? That Chris is featured on there playing piano is "No One Can Be yeah. Nowhere." It sounds like uh-huh. there's a modulation or a phaser. I know towards like the chorus that's, parts. That's it. Okay. Yeah, that's it. It's a phase ninety. Okay. So that that's the only thing I ever. Uh, yeah, I think it's the. Yeah, I can't remember the part right now, but yeah. And that's like a, a rare sort of single note progression for me. So that's um, occasionally, I guess on the first Sparta record, there's a couple where I do it, but I'll usually use delays to, you know, like I always say the delay is, a, is how a rhythm player plays a solo. It's just <laughs> like that's, I can't play, like I don't know scales or anything like that, but I turn on the delay and I think I'm like a plane in stadiums or something. <laughs> You're like the edge. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I wish, man. Um, but it worked really well, that subtle effect over Chris's piano and that, that last song on yeah. the new album. Is it- His, I, I, I thought it was, I've, I've, I've talked to a couple of people who could almost guess that it was him from his phrasing. Oh, really? Um, and, and that's what I wanted is like, if you, if you go back and listen to that song knowing that it's Chris playing, all of a sudden sort of where he chose to put that notes because all I did is send him the song and say can you play you know some sort of electric piano on it I think it would sound cool and you know we haven't gotten a chance to record stuff together so maybe this would be you know and honestly expecting him to be like oh we're super busy I'm in the studio but instead he's like oh no I'm in the studio it's perfect so he called me uh, like we FaceTimed after I sent it to him um, and he said yeah I love the song but it's way too long (laughs) <laughs> um, can I can I chop it up? Because it's like over seven minutes when I sent it to oh, him. Oh, all right. And it had this like real long, and he said, I just want to hear you scream more. Do you mind if I just chop it up and play to it and send it to you? And then we did, and then we had I had my engineer sort of re-adjust the song on Pro Tools based on his arrangement. So that's why he's credited with, with arrangement on the song as well. Ah, uh, um, yeah, because the song's what, a little over five minutes or might not even be five minutes now? No, it's not even five minutes. Yeah. No, I think it's under four maybe or just at four but yeah that was him saying i I want more screams 
because <laughs> it's all you you know you want to hear what you don't do right like yeah he doesn't want to hear what he does he wants to hear what i do um and then the i love where he put the i love where he put the pocket like it's it's just just the right spot i never would have thought of playing the chords there it's just got such a cool uh element it really that's what i mean by other writers like yeah that's the that's that's where he would put it and allowing him to just do whatever he wants instead of saying like just play on the chorus all the way through, power through, add some this, do that. Um, I just said, here, do whatever you want. And that's what I got. And it's like, oh, fuck, it's perfect. Collaboration sometimes creates things that you would never imagine. That, yeah, it's a whole from your own yeah. your own head. You got to get out of your yeah. own way. Yeah. Well, tell me about your delays, because uh, I'm kind of curious how you uh, play yeah, lead so, with your delays. So so the other day, I, I, I posted a picture before, you know, just trying to remind people that this live stream thing's happening, whatever. and. So I took a picture of sort of the whole setup and someone immediately wrote back and was like, are there three delays on your board? <laughs> on, and I was like, fucking always, man, like at least. So, and, it, and it's been like, I've tried to use um, sort of the, the, the bigger things that you can program. Um, and, and then I could have like sort of unlimited delay options, but I kind of always go back to wanting just these three guys. And so I, I have, uh, and they all run in line. So it goes from the overdrive to the phase 90 um, to a DD6, which I use for uh, this. Just super long, uh, super long delay, super fast. Really long feedback on it. Um, and I'll show you in a second why I do that. And then from that, it goes to this one, which is just, just backwards. So I kind of have this, uh, I don't want to sort of fuck with them in between songs. So what I do is, after I sort of write uh, a song and maybe take it to practice, then I'll start figuring out, okay, in the beginning of the song, I want to do sort of something as an introduction to the song. Um, and I kind of rely on those, those two delays for like my tricks or my, like that's, that's when I think I'm playing a lead is when I <laughs> use those. Uh, and then like my favorite pedal in the world probably is a DM3. The boss, everything I use except for that phaser and the big cruncher boss. Uh, so my sort of my box of pedals is mostly boss pedals. But uh, the DM3, which I can't find now, I guess I could buy it used. But my favorite one got stolen. It's that maroon, yeah, uh, the boss pedal. Mm -hmm. So they they have a new one, which is now like the Waza Craft version, which I, I guess is a company that is tied in with Boss now or something. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but it's basically the same thing. It's the it's that guy that um, I use it a lot. Just that kind of, just a short, short delay, fast. Is that the DM3? Is that the one that you probably use and rely on the most, like throughout a yeah. set? Yeah, honestly, it's on. And I think part of that is like, uh, if you're playing live, it just gives it. I don't know. It's I. I feel like John Lennon used that kind of effect a lot too on his on his vocal, and I always sort of loved that almost doubling effect that it has. Yeah. Um, but when you're one guitar player playing the rhythm um, and you have that on, it just fills up. Just fills everything up and, and makes it feel, you know, especially in in-ears, which I'm, I'm always wearing in-ears. So when I'm listening to it, it's like, it gives it just kind of this big room sound and full kind of thing. I guess that's the best way to put it. I don't know any other way to put it, but yeah. 
Sorry, I warned you, I'm not very good at, well, at talking gear. Neither am I. So clearly about all of my uh, tomfoolery and inability to speak today is, uh, what was the second pedal? Uh, I know that the first one was the DD6. What was the second oh, one it's with a D the reverse? It's a DD, DD7, which okay. just means that the last DD6 broke. So <laughs> as, soon, as soon as one breaks, I just buy another one. And so whatever number the DD is on, uh, it's always gonna be a, do uh, you know, a boss digital delay. So. I mean, to be contrarian, why why not try to get you know all the pedals that are out there nowadays? I'm sure I, there has to be a pedal that can do all three of those variations in one box. Uh, because I like I like I like fucking with each one. So yeah. it's you know I'll I'll take the you know especially the DM3 where you can just make it feedback to infinity and then slow it down and make mm -hmm. that kind of you know that sounds like I do that throughout the show. Um, when I do want to mess with a pedal or use a pedal as an instrument, I don't want to, I don't want to like hit a bunch of buttons and try and like, it doesn't feel spontaneous to me and it doesn't, it, it just doesn't seem like it would happen. So when I've tried to use those, like I look down at this thing that has eight knobs and a display and it's like, fuck it. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. <laughs> but like, but these guys have been with me 20, 20 plus years and so it's, I don't know, they're just kind of like, again, like a security thing. So like for the long one, for the first one, that's where like... So I'll do that stuff, like kind of the atmospheric. Again, that's when I think I'm playing a lead is when I do, is when I do that. And that's, that's probably, I imagine, in conjunction with the volume pedal where you're getting those swells as well. Yeah, yeah, so that's the other reason that I always have the volume pedal is for that exact, um, that exact thing. Do you ever uh, run either one or two of them together or all three at the same time? The I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll see like at the, the end cacophony of <laughs> chaos on like a, like a spaced out section or whatever, yeah, everything will be on and I'll, I'll be on the floor just going to town. Um, and then that's when you, you know, you really, really gotta love your rhythm section. Because you look back and they're they're keeping it all together and they're looking at each other like yeah this guy's in fucking la la land we'll just we'll keep going and that's when you gotta love them and I, I I'm so in love with my my guys right now so having Matt and and our the guy Cully that's playing with us on drums um, there's like no fear and it's just such a good you know we recorded the new record in three days and that's because we recorded it live. And I just went to the studio to do bass and drums. So neither of them live here. So they came in um, and we had, the budget was like, we could go to a big studio for three days. And, and so let's just go get bass and drums done. Um, Sonic Ranch has great amps, I mean, great mics. So we'll just go and, and I'll set up a sound and just have that kind of like one guitar that I did live with these guys. And then I'll go home and work on this for the next couple of months at my house. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like a Friday we started. And then our manager flew in on Monday and I picked him up from the airport and he said, oh, how's it going? You get some, some bass and drums done. And I said, I have three vocals left. That's it, like I'm done with the record. So it ended up being recorded mostly as a three piece, um, which I've never done in a rock band at all. Um, so a lot of, when you listen to the record and I've had people write in on, on Instagram or whatever and say like, this has way less guitar. Either I like it, it has, it's, it's so clear and specific, or this is really boring to me now, what happened to the old Sparta? 
and I have to write back and say like, well, I, I went where it went. You know, I can't, I can't make something for you. Yeah. I mean, I have to make, I have to make something for me. Uh, and this is what happened. And, and then I, I got to utilize Gabe Gonzalez on the parts that I wanted. You know, I can't play solos to save my life. So send him a song and say, shred on this. And then I need organ on this song. And, you know, call some other friends. Carlos from Chicano Batman played on, on a song. He's a great um, player. Oh, he's insane. And I think he, you know, our relationship started with his band was coming through El Paso and playing the club that I was part owner of. Um, so I got to see him play to like 20 people and then 75 and then 250 and then 600. And it was great. I've, so I've watched his band sort of, at least in my community, grow um, and gotten to know him like just in those one, one, one night hangouts or whatever. Um, and he had had sort of expressed his appreciation of of my past and my records and and I was really touched by it to be honest I, I think that's amazing that um, that you make records and people listen to them I'm still sort of amazed by that really that, yeah I don't I don't none of this for me has ever been um, and I, and it's not like a oh oh shucks kind of thing it's, yeah I really do I, I am always amazed that somebody will come and say like um, your band is so important to me that dot 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 mm -hmm. um it still it still blows my mind and i'm still really appreciative of it and i don't quite understand it all the time like even when i got the email about this i'm like really are, are you are they sure they want to talk to me like, <laughs> i don't i don't get it but okay um so carlos is one of those guys and and i sent him the song and said just do whatever you want and he sent it back and i was like oh this is like the most thought out part it's so beautiful and simple and just i never would have thought of it again like that's such a great part about having multiple players on a record and i've sort of always lived in that band world um like it's either a solo record or it's a band record and so for this record was the first time that i got to sort of treat it as both um i was un unashamed about bringing in my songs and saying these are my songs and i wrote you know, 25 songs for this record. We used nine of them. We used one of Matt's songs. And same thing with him. I said, if you want a, if you want a song on the record, bring me songs. Like, we'll, we'll play them. It's not about me, but yeah. it's definitely about looking after your art. So if you want to write a song, write a song. You know, I think it's important to sort of encourage and support that. But um, I don't want to sit in a room necessarily and jam for four hours and see if we can all come up with something. Like I've sort of done that for so long and just currently not interested in that. Mm -hmm. So much more interested in like writing a song and bringing it and that's that. And when you, when you, you know, whether it's bandmates or like someone like Carlos, is, are you pretty much when you hand them off or pass the baton, is it more of just a, you know, let me know what you get back or what, let me know what you come up with or do you give them any direction or how does that go? No, I never give them any direction at all. I just say, um, let's see if, if you come up with something cool and if it works, great. And if it doesn't, no, no hard feelings, yeah. right? So if you don't like the song, I have thick skin. I don't, I'm not insulted if somebody doesn't like it or if, if they're like, I mean, I've told, you know, I've had plenty of friends that have said no. I've had plenty of friends that have done stuff for me on like solo stuff and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're all, we're all grownups here, right? So. It, it's all right. Yeah. And uh, just to finish this up, Jim, is there anything else on the pedal board, as I cannot see it, is there anything else that you yeah. want to mention? 
No, that's it. That's my whole pedal board. Oh, killer. <laughs> it's, and, and the whole thing is that it fits in a, in a Pelican carry-on. And that's my, that's my, like, uh, that's my limit. So I have a pedal board that's cut exactly the size of a Pelican, uh -huh. and it fits, it fits two boss levels up. So I'll show you the pedal board in a minute, but so it, it fits with my snake and my cable so that I can, I can literally have a gig bag and my pedals if I'm just going to be gone for a few hours to like play in another studio or do you know a fly date or whatever. Super easy. Don't have to check my pedals. Don't have to check my guitar. Um, I have a I have a bag that carries two guitars. It drives the flight attendants crazy, but it's it still works within their limit. So yeah. As well, long as they don't. I'm, my thing is, I just I've I've videotaped people throwing our shit on the planes, um, and it's so brutal. Like when you see that happen, it's so brutal to think that your stuff is just getting hammered. Um, so whenever I can, I try and fly uh, everything with me. Yeah. So like I'd rather, I'd rather check a bag of clothes, and if that gets lost, whatever, which has happened as well. But <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. As much as you've been on the road over your life, I'm sure you could probably put a tail to every type of uh, mishap that's out there. Yeah. It's it, never at a loss for a story, that's for sure. <laughs> well, Jim... I appreciate you joining us, talking gear and hanging out. Uh, I know you're in El Paso, uh, just you know, trying to stay safe and keep your spirits uplifted. I'm doing the same Likewise. in Nashville. Uh, thank you yeah. again for joining us, and everyone should go check out your guys' new album. Well, thanks so much for having me, and, and I hope to see you in person, in real life, as they say. <laughs> I hope that we're in Nashville as, as soon as possible, <laughs> which would be great. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Awesome, man.